Welcome to CougarCast with Keith Schertz and Tosh McIntosh. CougarCast, covering BYU football and basketball. Email the show, cougarcast at gmail.com. And follow on Twitter at CougarCast. My name is Keith Schertz, and I am with the 2002 Daily Herald, Utah County Name of the Year, Tosh McIntosh. The Cougars are 1-7. Tosh, I want to read you a list. Kansas, Oregon State, Baylor, San Jose State, BYU, Texas State, UTEP, and Georgia Southern. What do those teams have in common? So I follow you on Twitter enough that I know the answer to this. <laughs> Go ahead. They have not beat an FBS team this entire year. That's correct. Well, one of those will come off that list this week. That is going to get to be a smaller list. Oregon State's not beating Stanford. They'll stay. Uh, Baylor looks atrocious. Georgia Southern's real bad. BYU has a chance to get out of that group, but it is the uh, kind of the inverted quest for perfection that you don't want, Tosh. The mighty Spartans are, it's the battle of off that list. All right, so uh, first things first. Um, I feel terrible about what happened against East Carolina. My father called me at like 11 o'clock at night, and he was just like, I can't sleep. Talk me through this. (laughs) Did you have to do any weird phone calls like that? I'm past, I'm past feeling, as, you know, some holy men would say, (laughs) that... Those sort of feelings happened earlier this season. I go into every game. I predicted, like, I, I told my whole family I was watching the game with, I think, I have a feeling now BYU's going to lose. And so mm. I, I, I watched it and was not surprised. Well, so the schedule thing was a big part of that. I, I, let's not forget that doing two big road trips, especially one all the way across the country after playing an SEC team, is just a bad schedule move. That's almost a schedule loss. I, I, I felt that all year. I felt that before the year began. I think that that's a problem, and I think that, that um, part of this falls on Tom Holmo for his construction of the, of the schedule. You can't fly to the East Coast two weeks in a row. No. That's not a good thing. It's already hard enough no, for West Coast. the West does that. Yeah. It's already hard enough from um, that perspective to go West Coast to East Coast. And everyone knows kind of in the gambling world, like if you see an NFL team and they have to go two time zones over to the east, so like if the Seahawks have two games to the east on that second game, you just pound. You pound uh, the home team. And, and you do not take the, the team that has to travel. And the reason is is just because for whatever reason, no matter how good you are, um, doing that two weeks in a row really takes its toll on teams. And that's why you know teams are now, like the Raiders are now just like staying they had a, a week where they actually stayed in Florida this year because they had, like, two games out there. So um, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about that. But in terms of the other thing, Tosh, my big takeaway from East Carolina is I think that that was the least prepared, least well-put-together game plan I can remember in a long, long time. Do you agree? A hundred percent. Like, you're playing against the team that has given up more yards per pass than any team in college football this year, and you don't try to throw downfield on them until the game's out of hand. 
Like, and it's in every situation. It's a, it's like a fourth and two, and we don't even throw the ball, ball to the ends. Like, we throw the ball at the three, and it's an incomplete. It's just like we went into this with the worst play calling to take advantage of this team's deficiencies that I have ever witnessed. There was no trust in the ability to throw, and there was more trust in the ability to run. But then they continued to try to run and run and run. But, Tosh, they only attempted five passes per quarter through the first three quarters against East Carolina. That, that resulted in 107 yards in, in those five passes. So, like, <sighs> Here's the so one five thing I per can quarter. So, so, well, through three quarters. And go ahead. I can understand how you, the, the offensive staff's looking at their players and there is no reason that anybody right now should have trust in our quarterback getting the ball efficiently to the receivers. Sure. I feel like that running the ball is a safer bet, that throwing it to the tight end for short downs is a safer bet. Yes, it's a safer bet for it to kind of work for a few yards, but right now we need to score points. And we are the worst at scoring points per play in BYU recent and history, and maybe we're going back a long, long time, because we're trying to dink and dunk it all the way down the field, and we do not have the playmakers to make that happen. Well, we talked about that, Tosh, last week. We were saying it's a real problem for BYU if they continue to go in with a game plan where they're going to slowly, methodically work it up the field. The idea of doing a 12-play, 75-yard drive is a stupid idea for BYU to continue to try to produce in that way. We don't have a running back that can fly, that can break a giant run. Like, Ula Tulata'u can't do that. K.J. Hall, he might be able to do that, but we haven't seen very much of him. Um, And they're not really trying anybody else anymore. And so, you know, they keep saying Riley Burt's going to be important, and then they only give him two carries. Like, I I don't really understand. But... The, the main thing that I, I think that's interesting is, is they have a, no ability to have a sustained drive. And I think if they continue to game plan and call plays to have a sustained drive the way that they have, they will lose to San Jose State at home. That is how we could lose. If we're trying to methodically have plays build off each other and us go down the field as if we're a good, efficient offensive team, we're not. So we, that, that is how we will lose because we cannot sustain drives. I would rather us go out there and just take three shots down the field. And if we go three and out, we go three and out. <laughs> but you know what it would do? It would make the defense play us a lot more honest the safeties and linebackers would have to play back, and it would actually open up stuff when we did mix in the run. But, like, let's just stop on doing these long, methodical drives. <clears throat> let's go for – let's take some shots. We will get some P.I. calls. We saw ECU wasn't good, but their offensive game plan is what our offensive game plan should be, in my opinion. Well, let's talk about the approach of ECU and, and how they handled passing. What they did is is whenever they saw, their, they had a stud receiver, but they had a couple really pretty good receivers out and there. And their quarterbacks weren't good. That's why I think that we can somewhat compare. What they what, Yeah. I mean, Minshew and Cirque. Mangum... Mangum can he can throw just as well as those guys, but the the thing is is and he's been bad this year. But let's just compare notes on how they do that. ECU would see one on ones on the outside, and they would say throw it to the area and go get it, and the guy would go get it. 
or he'd make one read and he'd make a look at it and then look somewhere else and then let it go. And, and, and so he would, they simplified it. One read, make a decision and go. Two guys to pick between, make your decision and throw. Put it in a position for somebody to make a play. Trust your receivers, and the receivers will go make a play for you. So that's ECU. Here's BYU's plan, and this is what everyone means when they talk about pro style. If you don't know what pro style offense is, it's not simply just being under center and huddling up. The idea is is that it means that you're setting up and – the receivers have to run a really precise Jerry Rice-esque route, okay? They've got to be right on with their footwork. And from that, they open up a little space for themselves. Then the quarterback, in rhythm, makes his five, seven, or three-step drop. In that drop, they stop right on that spot. And the reason that it's a five-step drop is because it helps with your rhythm. Or a seven-step, it helps with the rhythm for whatever route it is that the receiver's supposed to go to. And what you're supposed to do is is line up, you have your four receivers or your three receivers, you're supposed to make a full read, you make your drop, and then as soon as you set on that drop, you let it rip. Okay, that's the idea. And the route tree is as such that somebody should be slightly open, and, and that you're hitting, even if the guy just has the inside you know, move, you can hit that guy in stride, in timing, and it you know where he's going to be, and it works. And there's ideas sometimes to throw it low and just gain your yards and have the guy catch it while he's on his way down. And so there's, there's all these things because a low ball is hard to be intercepted, and there's some ideas. And so when you do timing routes with rhythm like this, that is what we mean by a pro-style offense. And, and so even though there's been adjustments – and they got to play in some of the pistol and some shotgun, and they've done some of those things. The principles with making a connection in the passing game have been founded on this idea of rhythm and timing. Well, Tosh, I think we can empirically say Tanner Mangum is not a good rhythm and timing quarterback. And that our receivers are not good at rhythm and timing routes. Okay. Both of them seem terrible at this style of offense we're running. And it's like... Everyone notices it except the people that matter. (laughs) So in the fourth quarter, now I know that part of this was East Carolina was playing in prevent defense. So when it's prevent defense, that gives a lot more space for receivers to operate. But what happened is they abandoned a lot of that pro-style look. They said, go out, run around, get into the space, Mangum will find you in that space. He's making one or two reads, and then he's letting it rip. So they started throwing the way that East Carolina was throwing, the way that they've thrown all year. And we've only done that one other time, and it was against Utah in the second half. And it worked then, too, but sorry to interrupt. But we've seen multiple times when we've abandoned the pro style, and we kind of go to more backyard, shotgun, hurry up. run deep routes, hurry up, try to get the defense on their heels. It seems like it works. In the fourth quarter, Tanner Mangum... 16 for 25, 64% completion percentage, 212 yards. We had gone 13 straight games, 13 straight games without having a 200-yard passer, Tosh. And then suddenly in the fourth quarter, we throw for over 200 yards. 13 straight games of doing it with the rhythm and timing method with Taysom, with with, uh, Hodge, with Tanner, none of them were able to get 200 yards on it. 
Then they go to backyard style, open it up, more air raidy type ideas. And what happens? 212 yards passing, a touchdown, another opportunity in the red zone where they went to a tunnel screen and blew it. Okay. And then he threw a bad interception. Yeah. But take aside all the excuses. 64%, 64%, 212 yards, a touchdown, a pick, 8.5 yards attempt, and 140.4 QB rating? That's like that's like God-level quarterbacking for BYU this season, okay? And it finally came to fruition, and that is what I'm saying. Abandon all the other pro-style stuff. We can either stand by Ty Detmer and continue to allow his system to be the thing that's most important, or we can have these talented players and put them in a position to be successful. Aleva Hifo, who I have said for two whole years now that he's no good, suddenly looks like he's pretty good. Because guess what? He's not a rhythm and timing receiver. So that is my big complaint, Tosh, is, is either Ty Detmer can either forget the weaknesses of his team and, and make it so that he doubles down on the strengths of his team. Right now, imagine Kyle Collinsworth couldn't shoot three-pointers. Imagine if Dave Rose looked at him and said, only shoot threes. That's my, that's my style of basketball and that you have to shoot so 70% of your shots as threes. It like. would be totally ridiculous, right? I think Tanner Mangum is a really good player, and I know that he's been really bad. I still believe in him. I think that he's been put in a position to fail. Ty. And there's a chance that he's bad. Maybe he's just straight bad. But there's signs that show that maybe he's not. Maybe it's just the system that's failing him. Changing the system is not going to fix all that ails us. No. But it will help tremendously. Yeah. And it's Ty's job to put an offense out there that's going to best produce. And right now, the offense that he has put out there has not produced. And I will give him some credit. He has, I think, adapted more than a lot of our other coaches. Like, our defense is not blitzed all year. Yeah. And we've run zone where we give 10-yard cushions all year, and we have adapted zero. Right. At least Ty has shook things up a little bit, but he's, he's, he's changing things that aren't mattering. <laughs> he needs to change the things that matter, which let's do some downfield passes. Let's put – and what I, one thing I did like, Kalani said that this – after watching the game film, that no aspects of our scheme were played we, – did we play aggressive? And that we need to start playing. I think he's seeing the same things we are. Yeah. Is that we are dinking and dunking. And let's be freaking aggressive and start throwing the ball down the field. Because that is what our players have shown they have the ability to do the best at. All right. So I think that you're on board with me. I, you know, I don't know if Tanner Mangum is ever going to get the mojo back or not. I don't know. Uh, it's been bizarre. I, I, I hope he writes a tell-all book someday that tells us what the hell happened, okay? <laughs> also, if you have a kid in the car, I apologize for that. <laughs> but here's the deal. Like, um, I, I think that this San Jose State team is a little bit worrying, and I cannot freaking believe that I have to say that. that we're, we could lose to a 1-7 team yeah. after losing to a 1-16. Like, if we lost to ECU, there is no way we should be confident as fans that we can beat San Jose State. So... Um, Tosh, let's talk a little bit about San Jose State, the Spartans. Um, so they're terrible at run defense, 128th in rush defense. They're actually pretty good in pass D. Okay. How does that match up to us? 43rd. <laughs> That's, 
That, it matches up terribly is the answer because yep. we can't run. Are we going to be able to take advantage of their poor rush? I don't know why we'd think we could. Uh, they give up a lot of points. They're giving up 41.4 points per game. Let's talk about that San Jose State offense. Okay, They're only scoring 16.4 points per game this year. They uh, are rushing for the 114th best in the nation, 117 yards per game. But, Tosh, that's 28 yards more per game than BYU runs for. They're 74th in pass offense for 212 yards per game. That's <clears throat> 37 yards more a game than BYU gets. So they're better running and passing than BYU, at least statistically this year. In fact, I think they, they kind of measure out basically similarly, except for we're better against rush defense and they're better against pass defense, right? So so I don't know what you want to make of, of all this, but I, I do think that there's a couple things for BYU to be worried about. And uh, the first thing is, is their defense on the defense. There's two players that we'll give you to watch. There's a, a linebacker, middle linebacker, Frank Ginda, 115 tackles this year. Tosh, he's getting 14.4 tackles a game. That's insane. That dude must be so sore. <laughs> right? Is that scheme, or is that because they're giving up big yards? It's, or? Well, he's the middle, so yeah. he's probably doing that. This is probably that they're giving up big yards. The safety, then, Ethan Aguayo, he's got 70 tackles this year. That's 20th in the country. Frank Ginda, more tackles than anybody else in America. So they've got a couple playmakers. They're at least going to be solid at tackling and it looks like that that is how they kind of help control a little bit what's going on. But that, that also bleeds into the fact that they've got a terrible rush D. Yeah. So, but at least they've got a couple solid tacklers. And they have playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. When you're looking at the stats, I mean, they have guys that have multiple touchdown receptions. They have guys that have broken long receptions. Right. They so stats, the numbers would show they have more proven playmakers this year than we do. And so they're, they're not a team that BYU can just walk. But I don't think even that the players, there's no way the players with what we've gone through, they're thinking they can just walk in. And beat I guys. hope not. So Josh Love is going to be their quarterback. Montel Aaron's been a little bit better. He's banged up. He's questionable with a knee. I think with a knee injury, he, we probably aren't going to see Montel Aaron. No. Um, he's, he's their better quarterback. But Josh Love will be under center. And then they got a couple of receivers that can make plays. Tosh, let's talk about kind of the emotional side. Uh, for San Jose State, weirdly for them, they're looking at their final four games of the year. This is their winnable one. Yeah. For what they have left, they're going to look at it and they go, okay, well, we got Colorado State left. We got Wyoming left. San Diego State. We got San Diego State. State. They're pretty good. Yeah. And they're going to have San Diego State or BYU. It's like, really, if they're going to get a win this year over an FBS team, it's got to be Saturday. Yeah, I, mean, I hate one, that. Oh, man. I hate a little bit about that. that Here's some crazy. of their schedule that can give us hope and give us worry. So let's start with the give us hope. Uh, yeah, they got blown out by teams just like we have. They lost to Texas 56 to nothing. Here's the one. Utah State put up 61 points. Yeah, there was a ton of turnovers in that game. 61-10, Utah State beat San Jose State. And so that's got to make you think, well, we should be able to put up points against these guys. Here's what should make you worry. They put up 22 points against a ranked and really good Southern Florida team, USF. Yep. You know, like, can be if they put up that sort of points against us, 
you know, they've had multiple games where they've been in the 20s. Can BYU score 20 against anybody? That's what is worrisome. Tosh, what do you think, real quick, about Vegas opening up with BYU being favored by 14? Is that crazy? (laughs) It's crazy. It must be that they think that being at home and not traveling east is a really big deal. And, you know, there's the conspiracy betting people that think that that they do things just to try to get bets. I mean, that's what they're in the business well, right. of. They're trying to get equal betting on both sides. But. And, and so if they're trying to get the Utah crowd to drive down there and bet, you know. Like, yeah, but who's going down there and laying 14 on this BYU team? Yeah, that's true. I, I, I'm going the wrong way there because really you'd want to go against. And so maybe the Utah fans. Maybe this All is right. their best way to get Utah fans okay. to go down there and bet. This is one of those where, I, you know. Because it doesn't make sense. Oh, it's just, uh, it makes no sense. You know, this is a perfect spot if you – are interested in gambling, there's something called a pleaser where you can actually give Vegas more points. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Where you can make it a little better. And uh, I think there might be some space to run a pleaser here and get better odds. Anyway, instead of a teaser where you where you get less points, right? But anyway, um, just a little something to think about um, <laughs> for, the, for those out there. I, I think... I think there's a couple things. If if they don't have a drastically different idea about what they want to do, then they're going to have problems. And so, and I mean this. We talked offense for a long time. We also need to talk defensively, right? I mean, blitzing and getting pressure on the quarterback, um, being able to actually stop a downfield throw in a significant way. I mean, there's been a couple good plays. You get burned every now and then. That happens, but like, it happens a lot. It feels like recently, teams can really throw against BYU. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's so the understatement what, of the show. So, you, so, so we've already well, – well, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is it just blitzing? Like, what other adjustments would you make defensively? We need to start putting pressure on quarterbacks. FBS quarterbacks are completing 70% of their passes against that's us. That's terrible. Wow. And, and because they have all day, you know. And, and then our, also our, our defense, I feel like we have pretty talented safeties and corners, but we always play zone. And we always play back, and it seems like they find gaps in that zone. It's just, I don't, we got problems with the scheme all over. Here is what I feel like so far on this season. That those of you that are familiar with, you know, European or let's even say British soccer and relegation and how that all works, it seems like we started out this year, we were in the Premier League. Coming off a great year, <laughs> and then we just got smashed. Right. You know, LSU smashed us. And then we go down a division. Right. And, and it's like, let's see how we match up against Utah. They're not, no, they're no LSU. And then we lose again, and then we get relegated. Right. And last week, it felt like we were in the lowest division. Right. It's like, let's see if we can compete at this division. And we still get smashed. Right. And then now they found some even worse team. And, and this is it. Like, if we lose to San Jose State, then we have shown that we are not even good enough for the worst division of football this year. The the Spartans are the worst. We've played our way into the bottom 10 teams in America. And deserve it 100%. No way. No way do we deserve to be any higher than that. We're one of the bottom 10 teams. Now the question is, is do we drop into one of the three worst teams in America? And if they lose, there's unequivocally, unequivocally, they are one of the bottom three teams. If they do not beat, if they do not beat San Jose State, there is no way they're getting the three wins this year. No, 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 no. This is the worst team left on the schedule. UMass <clears throat> is a contender, but 
he, UMass got a win. Yeah. Over over an FBS team. So if this could be the ugliest Saturday <laughs> at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, Croton esque, it might even be worse. Yeah. With we haven't even dwelled on. Oh yeah, we haven't even gotten into off field stuff. Th- there's been off field stuff that's came out this week that I- I'm guessing all of our listeners know about. But well, with, hey, let's just do it quickly. Francis Bernard and Marvin Hefo were got, caught with alcohol. So DUI. Not just caught with alcohol. DUI wasn't yeah. underage or drinking. It was just straight DUI. And then the other one was in and the, the other car one was, an open container. Uh, yep. And so uh, Francis Bernard, I guess, is no longer on the team. Same with Marvin Hefo. Same thing with Marvin Hefo. Also, then, today we found out about, this is on uh, Tuesday, we found about Ula Tulatau. He has uh, received a uh, Class B misdemeanor for possession of a controlled substance. That controlled substance was marijuana. And uh, that happened on October 8th. And so we don't know when they found out or when they knew. You know, I hope they just found out. But I also don't, if they just found out, then what's going on? Shouldn't they be really paying attention and trying to get these things together? And if they knew and then he was out playing on the field, well, was he playing because you've only won one game and so you're panicked as a coach? Well, what does that say about it's, that coaching staff? It's bad all around. Every, like, no matter how you slice it, it's everything about it's bad. And the fact that it happened, you know, we've played a couple games. He's been our feature back even after that. Tosh, when things go bad, um, discipline goes out the window because people don't care anymore. And so things like discipline with keeping the honor lower or the honor honor code or the law just go out the window. Like I'm not a, I am not a person that thinks that people should be managed by fear, but there needs to be some respect and accountability. Yeah, and that is my big worry with everything I'm hearing about practices and how this program is being run. Yep. and the casual atmosphere, and then this off field stuff, and then on the field, you can just see no one feels accountable. No, there, there's for sure no fear, but you don't need fear, but you need some respect and where you feel like you need to perform to be held accountable to someone and no one's doing that. This is BYU as a whole, as an institution and the, 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 the board of trustees and the brethren, they can put up with losing, but if it looks like the program's out of hand and it's embarrassing the program... That's where they do not have much tolerance for that. As mm. we saw in the Croton years, we're not to those levels yet. But right now, there are three different things to come out in the last couple of days. It's really, really bad. Well, and getting the impression out in the fan base that uh, there's serious violations of the law or the honor code infractions, and then they're not disciplining these players until it becomes public. I mean, that's how it feels, right? Is yeah. that these guys aren't being... Know. I think they didn't know. Well, the problem is is that there's no transparency anymore. We, BYU is so terrible at communicating, and, and it's a hard rope for them to do because they have the honor code. And, it's, yeah. and so there's different problems that, that exist with it. But when there's zero, zero communication about stuff... You know, so like like Kalani was trying to say, it's not our fault what would happen with Francis Bernard or Marvin Hefo. That shouldn't be on a record because They're we no released them the from the team. Yeah. Well, no one knew they were released from the team. Yeah. So it still looks. So bad. we still charge all the them for that. Are going to be BYU football yeah. players? Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. So I don't really understand. And then um, anyway, the, Tosh, this is what I want to get to, and let's let's just finish this. So we we talked about all that. To me, I think I've seen enough for, of Ty Detmer. I figured it out. I don't like to call for jobs or whatever, but I think we know what he is. 
I, I, we don't want to wait for his learning curve to finally come around. It's just, I don't really see the benefit to doing that. I don't know how you feel about that. So the pro, and I know you agree with me on this, is that we love Ty Detmer. We yeah. love him for the memories we, he gave us, for the, the player, the on, passion that he gave his small body. He put it out there and played with fire and risked it all and got amazing results. Two seasons ago on Cougar Cast, we did a weekly segment where we detailed what Ty Detmer did in his Heisman Trophy season. Yeah, we love like, Ty Detmer. If anyone re- respects and is reverent towards the history of BYU athletics, uh, is there anyone that knows more or pays more attention or reads more about it or tries to do it than, than me? Like, you know me on this. And so, totally. and so that's what I wanted to make clear. That being said, if our offensive coordinator was named anything but Ty Detmer right now or Steve Young or any BYU great, if he just was a normal guy that had no this emotional tie to the program, sure. we would have been every, 100% of fans would be saying that guy needs to go. Because the reality in, in that is any business, if you're performing the worst in your industry right. for an extended period of time, people are gonna there's gonna be job changes. People are gonna be let go, they're gonna bring in new people. And and, and it's justified. Totally. And it's justified. That's part of the business world we live in, and that these are Yes, these are good people with family, but these are jobs. These are people that are getting paid to do something, and, and they are not doing it. And the stakes are really big, too, totally. because, I mean, you can go on SeatGeek right now and find a $3 seat to the it's game on Saturday. Good. It's not good. It, it's going to be a ha- I mean, I think there's going to be about 30,000 people at the game. You think a little I more. I think more. I think that people will still take their kids to a Saturday afternoon game. I think we're going to have a surprisingly – the BYU fan base is more powerful than people think. But that adds pressure on these guys. These guys need to perform or they're going to get let go. And here's my last point that I have before we make predictions. This Saturday, with that fan base and with that pressure, and with the pent-up animosity that we have, if they are not scoring, there will be boo birds. For the first time in the Kalani era and the Ty Detmer era. They'll have if, earned them. If we're going some three and outs, if we're losing to San Jose State, the stadium atmosphere could get ugly. And because we just lost to a one in six team and there was no yeah, well, public changes. And as soon as we went down two scores against East Carolina, we I was just like, oh, it's we over now. We can't, can't come, come back, back from two scores. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy. Well, my thing, Tosh, is, and this is where I want to go next. I, I, the reason I brought up Ty. Um, I just think he's overmatched. I just don't think he was really actually ready to, to do the job. I was optimistic. I wanted him to do great. I was on I was on the train. I was. I bought in. I was excited. Didn't work. It's okay. Happens sometimes, right? So you got to make an adjustment and have things go a little differently. I, I want to say this, though, because I think nobody else is really there. And um, I just want to say, if they lose to a San Jose State team, at home, a one and seven San Jose State team at home to go one and eight for eight straight losses. I think I think there's really strong reason for us to say Kalani Sitake is not the guy. We we've been saying for weeks Kalani Sitake, he's still the right guy for the job, he's still this and that. Listen, a guy that can lead you to a really great future has to win that game on Saturday. Oh yeah. You can't lose if to he, two terrible, terrible teams in a row. If he 
Well, and we've already lost to Utah State. Yep. That's unacceptable. They lost the game to to East Carolina, and then if they lose to South San Jose State, one and eight. Listen, any coach, you could grab any coach out there, and they could take this team to one and eight with okay. with these players. The idea we is, have if you're going to schools coach. Come over right before the season, and we would not have a worse. If you were going to blame all of the pl- players, that like that's like the argument there is what is that this is the worst group of players that we've had since 1965. I just don't buy that. That's just bull. It's, a lot of it's on the players, but they a lot of it's on the coaches, and we can't change players. Like we got to change something. Yeah, and that's where my frustration so, is coming in. We got to change some things. So my thing is, is if they lose to San Jose State, I think it is empirically obvious at that point that Kalani Satake is no longer the guy. I it's hard to argue in that, and that I'm not all the way there yet. But well, if, what if they lose to San Jose State? That's the scenario I'm driving. Yeah, then I, I might be there. I, I, yeah, well, at a minimum, if they if they lose a San Jose State and there's no coaching changes again, yeah, then it's just madness. Well, then it what then it then on? it becomes a Tom Homo thing to yes. me. Then now now Tom Homo's the guy that I'm going to start saying like, Tom. well, what's wrong with him? Yep, you know. So it's uh, it's bad. The gravity, the weight of this game. Listen, San Jose State is playing with house money. They're on a bye week. They're coming in. Biggest game of the year for them, and uh, and uh, it's not going to be a tough crowd, as tough as, as maybe it could have been. And, and then if they get up early, they're, yeah. they're in big trouble. If they get up 10 nothing in that first half or 14 or whatever, it's like, oh, my gosh, the panic, the weight of the crowd, the gravity of, of that, the, all the stress. Now we're making stupid decisions, and uh, we're, we're just doing more and more dumb things. So I think that there is another disappointing week Brewing, Tosh. I really do. What's your... Do you want me to go my prediction first? No, I'll, I'll get us going. So, listen. San Jose State, nothing to lose. I think San Jose State is going to come in and make a couple things happen. This is, of course, assuming that we're going to continue to try to do the same stuff that we've done all year. And I don't know why it would suddenly change. If it didn't change before any of the other games, why would it change now? What was it about East Carolina that's the last straw? That seems weird to me. I think that you're going to see San Jose State win, and I think it'll be 27-17. to 17. So I'm going lower points. And I'm, I'll follow up again. No changes will be made. I think you're probably right there. The only thing that's going to make midseason changes happen, as frustrating that is, as it is as a fan, is going to be more of this honor code mm. legal issues. That's the only thing that I think with this staff is going to get midseason changes. My prediction on the game this weekend is I can't see BYU putting up 13, more than 13 points. I keep saying scores higher than that, and then I'm watching the game, and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> like, we can't score. And so I'm going 13 points. And That six- requires Red Allman to make two field goals, by the way. Congrats. Yeah. Congrats on, on, They'll on going They'll be within 38. We'll make them. Okay. And so 13 offensive points, and that they get, man, 10. We win 13-10. Oh, my gosh. In just this ugly game against with two ugly teams. Thriller. Okay. By the way, Iron Mike Sharp won last week. This week, Barry Horowitz gets another chance. He'll be going against the Brooklyn Brawler. So <laughs> another jobber versus jobber weekend. For BYU football, and uh, I listen, I pray I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. But I feel like 
we've had a pretty good read on this team this year. I mean, we did the stupid hopeful thing with Boise State, but even though we both kind of knew that they were going to actually lose that game. You and I have been on a, a quick read. You know, after the Utah game, we got talking about, like, they could be really, really bad this year. Yeah, we can't do anything offensively. And, offensive and that was when we were 1-2. and two. In our wildest dreams, even at that point, we didn't think that we'd be looking at 1-7, and seven, but here we are. Nope. Uh, all right, Tosh, are you going? I will be going. Congrats to you, my, my friend. Kid. He doesn't care if they're bad or good, you know. So we'll just have a cougar tail. We'll be happy. Three dollars. That's I'm going to. I, I did. I snagged one of those three dollar tickets. Nice. I'm going to be going over to the game for a little bit, and maybe I'll, I'll catch up with you. That is it for this week's Cougar Cast. Oh, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. Our man Taylor Christensen. Let's read it and answer his question. All right, let's do it. Doctor. We had a few different emails, but we chose this guy, and then we almost didn't do it. So. Doctor Christensen, MD. Here we go. Um, so his, I love the subject. Please diagnose, because he's a doctor. Please diagnose for me why BYU sucks this year. So hi, guys. I look forward to the podcast every week, so thanks. Hey, listen, if we're making this season just a little more bearable, uh, then uh, you are welcome. Could, uh, could you please answer this question on the podcast or however you want? Uh, well, we're doing on the podcast. As I understand football, a team's success is determined by a few different factors. One, aggregate quality of players on the team comes from the raw talent plus good coaching of fundamentals to augment that talent. Two, game plan. The actual plays being called in the game, not only how they exploit the other team's weaknesses in game plan, but also how they take advantage of the talents available to use on our team. And three, execution of the game plan, how well the players actually carry out the game plan, run the routes they're supposed to run, etc., and uh, I'm thinking that this is determined by how effectively coaches teach the game plan to the players. And then the fourth is morale. And he says, considering the offense and defense separately, what percentage breakdown of each of those four factors <laughs> are contributing to the overall suckiness this year and why? So uh, that your factors are the quality of the yeah. players, game plan, execution game plan, and morale. Right now... You instead of doing your percentage because that might be tough to do on the fly here. Um, I think I can do it because okay. the reality is I this is kind of taking the cop out answer, but I actually think they're equal. I think it's twenty five, twenty five, twenty five, twenty five. Mm. Because and I'll give some thoughts on why. You think that the really I disagree with you on that. Which one do you think's bigger? The quality of the players is less. I, I think the I think we have uh, good. I think we have good players. I don't. I think that they're in a position to fail right now. That's what I think. I think. I think that it's game plan. Game plan is is the biggest thing, and then now morale is really, really, really hurting this team. Our players do not look here. Brady Papinga has been riling about the strength and conditioning. Sure. And I think that I think Brady Papinga is a crazy man, and I've had my own Twitter battles with that guy. <laughs> But I, I do respect him Come as on, a crazy Come on, he's from man. Evan. No, one, no one's crazy from Evanston, Wyoming. You I wouldn't think, dare. I think the guy does know what he's talking about a lot of times in his rants. And our team, they do not look, they do not look in football shape. They don't look stronger than anybody. They don't look fat. They, we look like every one of our players looks slower than they should. Okay. And, and I look at playmakers. You can't name a playmaker on all... Even a blind squirrel's going to find a nut every now and then. We have not had a player break a play. Players, we do not have playmakers. And whether you want to put that on recruiting or strength and conditioning or on the mental state of the players, but that's going to morale. But I'm going 25% there. And then with game plan, what bothers me there is we are not using any deception at all. 
Yeah, no, you can figure out what's coming if you pay attention. Yeah, I mean, so much of it's personnel. We put die in, it's going to be a pass play. Well, yeah. We put... Defensus in. in, you know 100% it's a run play. Yeah. You have Mangum in the quarterback, you know we're not passing the ball downfield. We're going to dink and dunk it. You can bring... It is wild how simple and how lack of trying to do right. There's no two. There's no two tight end sets. There's no... You know, they never go five wide. They never do any of these sort of well, things. Even simple stuff that people do in pro styles, a naked bootleg. Right, right. Well, know, we don't do any of that What stuff. about the tunnel screen, which worked once, and then we called it two more times on the same drive, and guess what? It didn't work anymore. Even a normal screen pass is an act of deception. Where Correct. the team gets in, and then you dump it over the top. We right. don't do those. It's Our game plan is terrible. Uh, execution, our guys aren't executing. You look at one of the craziest things this year is how often Tanner Mangum has missed a receiver yeah. by 10 to 15 yards. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the receiver wrong the round route or if that's Tanner. Just a th- bad, bad, bad throw. Or bad read. But execution has been wrong always. And morale, you can just sense that the players are fighting with former players on Twitter. That there doesn't seem like there's any energy. There's no... Guys getting players. I want to see some fire out of these players. It just seems like they're. This has almost become their norm. These kind of results from Max Hall. If he was out there, he would not be reacting the way that he that our players are. That I look at a lot of our. Yeah, there's a lot of whininess. Like, like I'm going to call someone out, but like Jonah Trinaman just looks checked out at times. Yeah, if you pay attention. Yeah, and and, and I feel like. That's one guy you could say a bunch. Oh, sure. There's but there's yes. more than him, but yeah, but he's one that I've noticed like multiple times. Our defense, you can just see them run on the field sometimes after another three on out, and you can just see they're like, we're out here again, like we're putting the short field again. Morale is bad. Sorry, Taylor. Hopefully, you got some good responses out of that, but it's a bad doctor diagnosis because I'm not. I think it is equally bad. Our team has every one of those four sicknesses. And so they need a lot of drugs to be able to fix themselves. Yeah, see, and I, I, so I'll disagree. I'll do my percentages too. I think morale at this point is the biggest problem of everything. So I'm going to put morale all the way up at 60%, man. 60% of the issue right now is these guys aren't having fun. They're not enjoying playing their football. It's not fun to go to practice. It's not a good time to do anything. And when you're losing, it's hard to really, I mean, you can say, I respect my coach and I'm sure I'm going to still learn from him and all that stuff. But when things are going wrong, is it easy to do that? Like it's not right. It's it's yeah. not. It's like yeah, well, sure you know what you talk about, right? Like, I mean, it's easy to get those things going. Uh, so morale sixty percent for me. I think game plans the next thirty. Execution's going to be about the next like seven percent. I'll put three percent on quality of players. I, I think that there's players that other coaches would have handled these guys and been able to win with them because. <laughs> In terms of recruiting stars and their overall rankings and all that stuff, they're as good as just about any other Some group of these we've guys ever are really had. Hyped. They're as good as any other group of players that we have. I just look at every s- other coach, every other coach has been able to get more, including Gary Croton. So, like every other coach for a long, long, long time has been able to get something from their players. Every coach from 1965 on has been more successful getting something from their players. Are these players less talented than all of those kids? I just just, don't believe that. It's so hard to know what's on that because I look at the drops and the fumbles. Those absolutely lost us games, 
And I put that mainly on players, but maybe it's our lax coaching. Maybe we're not doing drills to be able to help the, who knows? We've got so many freaking problems. (laughs) Who the heck knows? And that will do it for this episode of CougarCast. Thank you to Dr. Taylor Christensen for getting in touch with us. And uh, if you want to have your email answered on the air, uh, just email us, cougarcast at gmail.com. Also, please, listen, it's been bad enough this year, but please, just if you could go give us a rating on iTunes or if you use Stitcher, give us a rating on Stitcher. If you can use one of if whatever your platform, give us a little rating and uh, it helps other people find the show. We'd really appreciate that. There's a lot of problems with our show, but you can believe we would make the changes. And our morale is high. Our morale is so <laughs> high. Thank you for listening to CougarCast. If you enjoyed this show, take the time out to give us a rating on iTunes. Also, look for us on vanquishthefoe.com. If that isn't enough, you can follow us on Twitter at CougarCast. Enjoy the games and go Cougars.